And this is Shabbat Shuvah, uh, the last Sabbath before uh, Yom Kippur. And uh, so we have, uh, the last several years, I have kind of really changed the way that I've done and approach festivals. Um, those of us that came out of the church, you know we have a really big tendency to not do what we did in the church, right? To make everything look different, right? And feel different and be different, even if it's the same or basically the same. Um, but one thing that I noticed when we began to meet as a group and celebrate the, the feast days, um, and I saw it in other places and other groups and congregations too, and it's just a natural thing. This is not, it's not like a, I'm not throwing shade on anybody. But um, we have a real strong tendency uh, to treat the feast days um, like we treated conferences back in the church. Uh, and you've heard me talk about this, but it's just a point I need to kind of really ram home. Um, that, you know, we, like we, we treat it like special services or like, like conferences in, in the church. Um, and what do, what do I mean by that? Well, it's, um, it's generally a, a big to-do, right? And uh, it's a lot of work on the ministry and on the, the volunteers and all that. It's a big... It's, it's a big, big thing, um, you know, more than the Shabbat and stuff. And, um, and we elevate it above the Sabbath, um, generally. And we have this kind of idea where, like, we show up and we want worship and we want a teaching. And, we, and because, we, because we really, when we first come in this and start learning, we don't know how to celebrate these days. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. And that's okay. You know, it, it, everybody's new at something at some point in their lives. Um, and and we, we don't understand what it means when God says to keep or to celebrate a day like Yom Kippur. You go, well, what does that mean? Well, it says don't do, don't do any work. And it says afflict yourselves. Okay? Yeah, I mean, that could lead to a lot of unhealthy stuff. You know what I mean? Like... You look at Rosh Hashanah, you know, and you, you blow this horn and, and what. And so, you know, so as we, there's, there's some, um, some sections of, um, of the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement that, uh, that kind of stay there. They kind of stay in that, that place where it's like, um, I think it was Hanukkah that said it's like Christianity with a kippah. And so it's, it's, just like, it's just like being in the church, but on Saturday. And that's just kind of where you stay. And if that's where you stay, then cool. Look, I'm, again, this is not a, you know, I'm not attacking anybody. Um, I just don't think that's where we're meant to go or where we're meant to be. Well, it's not where I'm meant to be. And if you're a part of this fellowship, you're kind of subject to, <laughs> to where God leads me. Sorry. Um, Hang on, because it's a wild ride. But um, no, so the uh, I, I don't. That's not fulfilling to me. That's not that's not fulfilling. If I wanted that, I would just stay in church and I just celebrate on my own, right? Um, but I, I I I hunger and thirst for something authentic and something real and and something that uh, that is that is ancient, that is old, that has its its that has survived. Because the, the ancient ways have survived. They've persevered, right? Um, 
it that doesn't mean that that ancient is better like i don't want to i don't want to have to use a shovel to go to the bathroom for those of you that know that that mitzvah right that's a mitzvah bring your shovel i don't want to have to be that like older is not necessarily better right but but these these uh the, these principles that have that have survived and persevered um and so from, if we move from there into more observance, then we have to kind of go one of two ways in, in my experience is that we have to either make, make new traditions, which is fine and we can do, or we can look back to, to, to Judah and see what they've done and figure out how we fit in that. I have no problem with, 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 with option number one, moving ahead and making new traditions as a community, reading the scripture and going, okay, how are we going to celebrate this? The problem I have is when we make new traditions, but then we turn and look at Judah and say, bah, to your traditions. What are you doing? You're doing the same. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> you can't do that. That's just intellectually dishonest. Um, and, and hypocritical. So, um, so we've we've chosen. I've chosen the the route of kind of looking back to Judah, and to see um, what they have done, and to see why they've done it, and what what makes it what it is. Um, how many of you have ever you've traveled maybe a little bit, and um, how many of you have ever gone and eaten somewhere, maybe another country or even another state, uh, like a really ethnic food, like maybe it was like the Caribbean or maybe it was overseas, whatever, and you've eaten food from a different place, right? Uh, yeah, shawarma's a great, you know, maybe in Israel, maybe in somewhere else. You've eaten something that was just like, wow, just super different, right? And you thought, when I get home, <laughs> right? Does your dish ever turn out like theirs I'm, some of you may and if it does I'm interested but because mine never do it's always so disappointing <laughs> so disappointing right um, how many of you would just be really 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 excited to belly up to a bowl of gumbo from a person from New York <laughs> if you're watching you're in New York again no shame um Unless you're there from Louisiana and just stay in a little while, no. Um, there's a meme that goes around, and I meant to look it up because it's so funny. But it talks about something like, "I don't want to eat gumbo from a Food Network chef named, you know, Kevin or whatever. I want it from like Momo Fontenot Thibodeau. That you know, whatever. It, it's it's yeah, and it's like it's like, yeah, right. You know, um, but there's something about food. And I'm not going to get on my food as worship kick, I promise. But there's something about food that's more than just ingredients. Isn't that weird? How you have same ingredients, same pots, same stuff, but comes out tasting different? Isn't that what's a weird phenomenon? And I really believe it's because food has to do with not just the ingredients, but food is so cultural. And food is about the... you can tell a person how much love they have in their lives by the way they cook it's interesting um, 
some of you know Gordon Ramsay if you watch TV at all or you're it, you know and on on TV has all these you know crazy TV shows and he's an absolute hind end right absolute jerk but ev- I've never had the chance to taste this food but everybody says that his food is amazing and it's like well you can't be that mean right. and cook that well it just doesn't food doesn't work that way I'm sorry <laughs> I'm I'm sorry food doesn't work that way it's, it's science right and we follow the science um <laughs> So, I read an article last, I think it was last week about Gordon Ramsay, and um, they interviewed several of his uh, staff and people that had worked for him and like just things, and they talked about how incredibly giving he is and charitable and like people that he, 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 people for people that he knows, like people he works for, people they know, he's given away money and houses and like just how, you know, that's not his persona, but that's his, that's really who he is. He's just an incredibly given. He's a great father and, uh, and, and husband and all, and all this, this cool stuff. I was like, see, I knew there was, there was something there. So the, the point of all this is that, you know, when we read read the Torah and we read the, the instructions on a festival or a season of the year um, we're reading it's like a recipe and we might understand all the ingredients but how is it that our dish or our celebration can look so different than someone like in Judah right how can we have the same scripture the same words the same even understandings if we do a little bit of digging and study and yet it looks so different the missing piece is the culture piece the missing piece is is the now we may we love god no no doubt but how we love god has been different than the way that historically judah has loved god so it's it's about culture it's about you know not not the recipe itself because the recipe is stagnant but it's about what goes into it and what goes around it. So, the um, you know we we try to be super careful um, as to not put on as if we are Jewish because we're not. Um, however, I would really rather um, honor those that have preserved the the living Word of God for us um, in that way. So. Uh, this is a quote from Mark Biltz. Many of you know who Mark Biltz is. Uh, El Shaddai in uh, Washington, right? Yeah, Washington, that's right, yeah. Um, I love this quote. He says, um, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, was a gracious day. Now, I don't know what you think about Yom Kippur. And um, this is a teaching I've done for a couple of years. Again, like, kind of like Rosh Hashanah, it bears repeating until we kind of get conditioned to think about it in a certain way. Um, and yes, I am trying to condition you. I'm very open about that. I'm not trying to trick you. <laughs> I am trying to condition us. Um, the, uh, I don't know what you think about Yom Kippur. We all come to Yom Kippur with different understandings um, and different you know different stresses or anxieties or just uh just ways that we think about it but he says the day of atonement yom kippur was a gracious day there's a lot of death and blood associated with yom kippur so i don't know if you've ever thought about it as a gracious day but it's a gracious day each year when all the israelites could experience a new beginning this day foreshadows god's plan for the final disposition of sin and the creation of a new earth 
where righteousness dwells. I love that quote. I think that's really pretty. So we're going to be in Leviticus 23 again this week. So you can turn there. That I have slides today that Scripture will be on. But you can turn and read. And actually, I don't have a slide, but I want to read. Um, I want to read. Every time we read about the festivals in Leviticus 23, I want us to make it a habit um, of always including, here, we're making a tradition, you ready? You're seeing it happen right before your very eyes. But I would like for us to make it a point to always read about Shabbat every time we read about the festivals. Because, again, some of our some of our our conditioning from the past is that well like you know Sunday rolls around every week maybe the fish are biting and they might not be biting next week so I gotta go get it the deer are really moving right dark moon last night they hadn't eaten all night man they're gonna be moving today right Sunday there's like there's 52 of them you can catch a couple it's fine but Christmas and Easter you better for the love of God, be in on that pew, right? And and how, and this is not to say anybody that's not here today because I talked about that the driving et cetera et cetera. But how much do we carry that into this walk? We go like the Sabbath. It comes around every week. Like sometimes after work, stuff comes up. Whatever. It's I, there's 52 of them. I'll catch a couple. But Passover and Yom Kippur, like I gotta make those. Those are super important. Like the Sabbath is less important. And that is a grave mistake. We've actually got that backwards. That if you don't make a festival day, it's actually better if you make Shabbat instead of the festival day. And I know that's, that tweaks with our minds, right? That's backwards in our minds. But in, in, the, um, in Jewish halakha, if a festival day falls on a Sabbath on a, a weekly Sabbath, the laws of the Sabbath take precedent over the laws of that festival, right? So if there's some kind of special ritual that's supposed to be done on that festival day, you can do it if it falls during the week, but on Shabbat, you might not be able to because it may constitute work or, or something else like that. So I think it's always good to remind ourselves. So Leviticus 23, verse 1, and the Lord said to Moshe, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, appointed festivals of the Lord which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies this is NIV so just forgive me Um, it's on the screen it's on the screen that's tree of life which is cool Um, verse 3 these are uh, there are six days when you may work but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest a sacred assembly you are not to do any work wherever you live it is a Sabbath to Hashem right so the weekly Sabbath let's go to verse 27 Verse 27, uh, actually verse 20, yeah, verse 26, uh, for 26 and 27. And Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement, or more technically Yom HaKippurim, which is day of atonements. Okay, Yom Kippur, Yom HaKippurim, day of atonements, more technically. He says, hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to Hashem. Do not do any work on that day because it is Yom Kippur. When atonement is made for you before Hashem your God. 
Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people, and I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall not do any work at all. This is to be... what Are we... Are we supposed to do work on that day? <laughs> do you hear this repetition over and over and over and over? Uh, you shall do no work at all. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Verse 32, it is a day of Sabbath rest for you and you must deny yourselves from the evening of the ninth day until of the month until the following evening you are to observe your, uh, your Sabbath. So in verse 7, we have the initial thing about afflicting yourselves so afflicting yourselves um, when you look up that word and you look at other places in the Tanakh where that word is used it is usually tied to a fast right Um, now there's been some studies by people I really respect um, that have a completely different and opposite um, uh, definition interpretation of that word uh, which is cool but uh, Traditionally, it's about about fasting. Um, we see it in Acts twenty seven nine. It says, um, "Since considerable time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous because the fast had already gone by." Right? Paul kept warning them. This is uh, Paul on one of his trips. The fast. If there's one fast, it's Yom Kippur, hundred um, percent. And it doesn't really. When we talk about this passage, and we talk about you know Paul and, and the interpretations of the fast. It doesn't really matter what it might have truly, really, sincerely meant when it was originally, when it was originally penned. This is what Paul understood it to mean and what, what Judaism in his time understood it to mean and still does today. So back to Leviticus 23, verse 32. Um, it says, a, a, a Shabbat, excuse me, a Shabbat of solemn rest for you and you are to humble your souls on the ninth day from evening to evening. You are to keep your Shabbat. There's an interesting um, tie in history to Yom Kippur that actually ties back to an event um, that we we saw earlier and read earlier in the Torah. If we go back to, um, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 33. Uh, this is talking about Aaron, and it says he's to make atonement. So I told you it was Yom HaKippurim, right? The day of atonements. Here's here's one of the the the... the the ways we, I think, I'm not going to say incorrectly, maybe out of balance, approach Yom Kippur. Is that Yom Kippur is about me. Yom Kippur is about me. Receiving forgiveness and cleansing from my sins. Yom Kippur is about me because isn't everything Right? Um, isn't everything about me? So why Yom Kippur has to be about me? Because I am the most important thing, and I am the center of the universe. So it's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and that atonement is for my sin and for me. Okay. Leviticus sixteen thirty three is talking about the Kohen Gadol, and he says he is to make atonement for the sanctuary wait that's not about me and for the tent of meeting and for the altar and for the Kohanim and for all the people of the assembly so really in reality you and I are on the bottom of the list 
And this is not like a save the best for last kind of list. This is like, no, the thing that the, the, the priest is atoning for, the most important thing is for the sanctuary. Well, what is, the, what is the sanctuary? The Mishkan, right? The tabernacle. The tent of meeting, which is the Ohel Moed, where the Holy of Holies, and, and that is. Why would, so if we're talking about, if we're talking about kind of hierarchy of importance, and I'm not saying that's exactly what this is, but if we're talking about hierarchy of importance, let's think about this, because it's really, really interesting. So, the sanctuary. The sanctuary is the entire Mishkan complex, right? It's the entire, the entire uh, Mishkan. So, um, I don't know if you've got a camera that can follow me. Um, so, you have this kind of thing right here, right? I know not everybody can see that, I'm sorry. So, you have this kind of thing right here, and then you have the, the laver, Right? Okay, and then you have the altar. I'm trying to remember which side. Joe said the steps always go on. I think it's, oh, shucks. Glad he's not watching. Anyway, um, because it's very particular. The ramp goes on one side or the other. And I can't remember. Anyway, so um, the sanctuary, right? This is the whole sanctuary. The priest makes, the, the Kongadal makes atonement for the sanctuary. Let's say first. Let's say first. What would you say is the most important part of the whole Mishkan? What is the most, what, what, what do you think it would be? If, in your opinion, what would it be? What? Say it louder. It would be this, right? It would be, it would be like this area right here. This is the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting. But it's second in the list. And again, I don't know if there's anything to this. I was just thinking about it this week. So why make atonement for the sanctuary first? Because we have to understand what atonement really is. All year, people come into this tabernacle to bring their offerings to the altar. People come in. All year they come in, and they're supposed to be clean. Supposed to be. Right? How many times... Do you think whenever your kids were little and you told them, go take a bath, take a shower, how many times did they just run water and just sit outside the bathtub and play on the floor? Put some water in their hair and come out. I did did it. Go brush your teeth. Run a little water in the sink. Never touch a toothbrush. (laughs) We're the children of God, remember? (laughs) Every time people came in to bring offerings, they were supposed to be clean that always happen absolutely not it's kind of like a fish tank you ever owned a fish tank if you don't keep it clean or if you when you first get it it's beautiful right clear glass it's awesome what happens as it goes on day by day week by week it just starts to get a little cloudy right then the glass starts to develop a little film and the film gets darker and darker and the water gets murkier and murkier until you can't see anything until what in, is inside of it eventually will die right will leave so all through the year people are coming into the tabernacle and bringing all their stuff and the intent was that you stand at the gate 
and you present your offering and you go through all the steps of, of presenting an offering and you say the vidui, this is my offering for whatever. It can be for Thanksgiving or it can be for, for trespass or guilt or whatever it can be or mincha, whatever, whatever it happens to be. But the truth is, over the year, people contaminate the holy place. First of all, it was not Moshe's idea to build this. It was not man's idea to build this. This, ta- this Mishkan, which will eventually be the temple, which will eventually be the second temple, which will eventually be the third temple. I just want to ruffle feathers. This place was commanded by Hashem. So particularly that he took mountain up, uh, Moses up on a mountain and showed him a, a blueprint, a hologram, I don't know. I don't know what it looked like. A vision, I don't know. A blueprint called tabnit. A tabnit of what exactly it was supposed to look like. And, and God said, this is how I want you to build this. And what is the whole purpose of this institution what's the whole there's one purpose what's the whole purpose for God to dwell with them period for his presence I know in Southern Baptist Church we say Shekinah Shekinah glory the Shekinah of Hashem to dwell the presence of God the dwelling presence of God to live amongst people that is the point of this whole structure it's not for the structure itself the structure itself and like there's people that say well like the tabernacle might have been round and like there's all this other this it's not the structure itself is is important only because it allows god to dwell with the people period so like back off the third temple thing I'll, i'll maybe get into that a little bit later all year and and God is holy and we don't understand what holiness is I'm sorry if you feel like you do I don't want to hurt your feelings but we don't we don't It, it, it would take us years and years and years of study of this institution to understand what holiness really really is so God is holy he requires a clean place he's the king do you don't think that queen was the queen of England the Queen of England. Yeah, Liz. You don't think Queen Liz doesn't... Imagine the staff that the royal household has just to keep things clean. Right? So, uh, this, this is a royal thing. It has to be clean. Well, guess what dirties the place where God lives? His kids his children hello muddy shoes across the carpet right I mean just what clothes everywhere whatever toothpaste on the mirror I mean just you know what I'm, this, this is everybody's business no this is everybody's I know I know I see y'all his kids dirty his place and it's not that God cannot we say like god cannot be in the presence of sin yeah he can god can be in the presence of sin he chooses not to because he doesn't deserve to be 
Thank God he was present in my sin when I needed him. And he still is each and every time I call, he's there. God can dwell with sin. He just chooses not to mostly. And, and, and not even chooses not to. His people that he called out, he said, I don't expect for you to treat me like this. Okay, so, here, so for people that don't know him, God will live in the midst and live with them in their sin. Oh, that doesn't sound very right. Oh, it doesn't? Why, how are you sitting here today? Let me ask you. Amen. We say, oh, I didn't save myself, but man, we sure make it sound like it because God can't live what, so I had to come to God. Like, no, God, for those that don't know him, God will, will get down where you are and rescue you from the pit. Baruch Hashem, right? Yeah, right. But then, but then once you are a people, God goes like, I don't expect you to treat me like this. Right? Parent, parent, child. Parent, child. I don't expect to be treated. I, I understand some other little feral kid that runs through here. Not you. You said that last week. This is not. No, 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 no. I, y'all got to know the backstory. No, I'm not calling him out. No, seriously. We were having a conversation last week, and Christina mentioned that her kids might be a little feral. And that word just came out, and I didn't even think, I'm not talking about y'all's kids. There's more than one, there's, there's more than one feral child in this fellowship. Thank God. It's great. Okay, so... I can, I can understand if some kid comes up and says, hey, you, right, that I've never met before. Or if, 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 if some, you know, somebody's visiting and their kid runs through here and I say, hey, could you please not run? And they go, yeah, or whatever. I can understand that. But if I call one of my kids and I say, Jojo, and he says, yeah. Yeah, right? It's the difference. I can understand another person's kid calling me Joe, whatever. They don't know. It's fine, Mr. Joe, whatever. But my kid better not because they don't treat me like that. We have a different thing, right? Right? You don't expect to be treated by your own kids. You expect to be treated better by them than by other people's kids is the point. So, so God says like, that's fine. You're my children, Israel, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel. I want you to come to my house and I want to fellowship with you. What do you do when you come to the house? Well, usually you bring a gift, an offering. You usually eat together. You fellowship together, right? You spend time together, right? That's all the house. But when, we, when they came to the house, they also dirtied the house. So Yom Kippur is about cleaning the sanctuary. And again, it's not so the people could continue to come. It's so that there was a presence dwelling there for them to come to. The sanctuary has to be clean. The Ohel, now why the Ohel Moed second, in my opinion? Because remember, the closer you are to this spot, the more responsibility you have. 
it's my opinion that the sanctuary gets dirtier a lot more and a lot often than the the Ohel Moed does because the people working there should know what's up maybe not but you cleanse this so that God remains living there and this is not a manipulation like well the cleaner we make it then the happier God will be it's out of respect for who he is we don't keep it clean so he will stay we keep it clean because he lives there and he deserves this so the sanctuary the Ohomoed, the what was next the altar right for the, uh, the altar and then atonement for the people but the house is first then the people okay really important yeah weed eat like spray some herbicide come on like you know have some respect all right next Leviticus 16 6 through 10 this is the service a part of the service Aaron is to offer the bull for the sin offering the chatat which is for himself right Kohen Gadol first and make atonement for himself and his house his people why this is not again this is not the idea is that it's not cleansing Aaron man this is so hard to get our minds around because we're so Christian when Aaron offers the sin the chatat for himself and for his household it's not to cleanse him so what is the other option it's to cleanse it's to atone for or to cover for the way he dirtied the house does that make sense yeah I see some fumes start okay so when he makes the chatat it's not it's, it's not to it's not to cleanse Aaron's heart of sin like I know that's what we that's the way we think about it that's not the idea the idea is that Aaron brought some dirty stuff into the the holy place and his chatat is to is to cleanse his dirtying of the holy place alright I'm not going to beat the dead horse just meditate on it it'll, it'll come Verse 7, then he is to take two goats and present them before Adonai at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Right, so right here is the entrance. Right there, okay, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Um, verse 8, then Aaron will cast lots for the two goats, one lot for Adonai and the other lot for the scapegoat. Some translations, we have, you know, Azazel, what, we don't, what is that? Is it a demon? Is it a place? Is it a whatever? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know, so I don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> verse 9, Aaron is to present the goat on which the lot fell for Adonai and make it a sin offering, a chatat. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell is to be presented alive before Adonai which is always interesting to make atonement upon it by sending it away as a scapegoat into the wilderness so two goats one is used as a hatat a sin offering and one is to be sent the the impurity is transferred to that animal and that animal is sent off into the wilderness where presumably it would die right doesn't always happen sometimes goat finds its way back into the camp not a 
I know. Not a very good omen, right? We talk about this every year, but just imagine. This is the holiest day of the year. Why is this the holiest day of the year? In my opinion, it's because this day is the only day of Pesach that almost has nothing to do with us. How different is that than the way maybe we think about Yom Kippur, where it's all about us, right? It's all about us receiving forgiveness, us receiving cleansing, us. What if it's, what if it's, that's really not the point at all. It's about cleansing the house, which we'll get to in a few minutes. All right, so what if you, this holiest day of the year, and the high priest is there, and remember the high priest, you know, he's, he's the guy, right? He's the shining one when he's in his gold investments. And all of the contamination of Israel, he lays on this goat. It's, it's like a, you could hear a pin drop. And then someone is appointed to lead the goat out into the wilderness, right? And so the next day is just this fasting and, and, and affliction and all. And then what if, what if all of a sudden you hear this, this, this lone echo like out in the distance what the heck the scapegoat is still alive you know what I'm, and in in my like twisted Monty Python humor set filter I have to think probably not but I have to think it's God's way of just really messing with us or messing with them going like you, you know this is going to happen again because you're people and it's really hard for you guys to be consistent and faithful and to get stuff right so we're going to do it again but just as an just as a I just want it to be out there like I don't I don't know it's just the way my mind works I'm sorry off on that rabbit trail but the presumption is that the goat would die right and that Israel's impurities would die with it um Exodus 32 so this goes back to traditionally the first Yom Kippur. It's traditionally the first Yom Kippur. Um, Exodus chapter 32, verse 30. So it happened the following day that Moshe said to the people, you have committed a horrendous sin. So now we'll go up to Adonai. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Nice, aha, see there. That's atonement for the people. And I would say, nay, nay. Why, how, how is it not atonement for the people? Well, where are the people? Let's, let's talk about the setting. Where are we here? Where are we? Sin of the golden calf. Sinai. All right? Now, you should all know this because I spent laborious weeks talking about Sinai. And then what's on the top of Mount Sinai? God's presence represented by... And something we find in the garden, the tree. Remember, Moses was in the mountains of Sinai and he passed a bush that was on fire but was not consumed, right? So Mount Sinai, Etz Chaim on top, tree of life, presence of God, thunder, clouds, blah, 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 right? All the, I'm not blah, blah in God's presence. I'm saying, you know, all the, the stuff that we know. Yeah. Could I suggest to you, and I have suggested, and I believe this is the imagery, that this is, this is the tip top of Mount Sinai, right? 
where Moshe goes into? We know that he took the elders, right? And they went up the mountain. How far up the mountain did they go? Right? About halfway, right? Because they're not allowed on top. They can go like here, right? And then at the base is all the people. So can I suggest that possibly the atonement for the golden calf is not about cleansing the people it's about cleansing the sacred space where the people were because at that moment that was the house of God okay y'all not nearly excited as I am alright so let's continue reading Verse 31, then Moshe turned to Adonai and said, Alas, these people have sinned greatly and made gods of gold, yet now please forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. And Adonai said to Moshe, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. So, I'm not trying to take away the idea of personal atonement and personal, and that's not what I'm trying to do. We are forgiven, we are wiped clean, we are, we, but but we have made atonement and forgiveness such a narrow and small thing. And it fits within our neat little tight Christian theology that, that is too small. It's too small. And we're, we're, I'm gonna round this out as we, as we, as we continue. Um... Let's jump to, well, you know what? Let's read these next few passages. Why not? Uh, Exodus 34, 29. It says, Now it happened when Moshe came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know with the skin of his face, that the skin of his face was radiant because God had spoken with him. Where had he been? In the Holy of Holies, right? Where the presence of God lived. Lived. Um, verse 30 when Aaron and B'nai Israel saw Moses the skin of his face shone in rays so they were afraid to come near him this fear is the same fear you have whenever Isaiah finds himself in the vision where does he find himself he's in the temple and he's he's scared to death why not because there's all kind of weird animals eventually that he would see he's scared to death because he knows he doesn't belong there yeah, he's unclean, and it's outside of his jurisdiction. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And we use that as a sermon series about how your words create, and that's great, and it does. But we miss the point of the fact that Isaiah knows that he is desecrating God's sacred space. It's not that Isaiah feels necessarily guilty about his sin. It's that he knows that his sin is infecting the sacred pure holy space does that make sense do you understand that difference there is we should be repentant and grieve us over our sin but but the point we miss in doing that when we're talking about isaiah or ezekiel or or any of these these people that found themselves in the presence of god and fell down in fear what we miss is that it's 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 not only that i am i realize the depth of my sin in front of a holy god yes but also that what is the result of my sin is a desecration on the place where God is. And he deserves better than that. 
So verse 4, chapter 35, Exodus. Moses also said to the congregation of Bnei Israel, this is the word which Adonai has commanded, saying, take from among you an offering for Adonai, whoever has a willing heart. Let him bring Adonai's offering, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple. Um, that's Tehelet uh, from Titzit. Um, purple is Argamon and scarlet, Sheni Tolat, or Tanat Tolat Sheni. Uh, fine linen and goat hair and ram skins dyed red. Seal skins and acacia wood. We're not getting off on that rabbi trail. Don't even try. Um, and so this is about the building of the tabernacle, right? Which we've just, we've, we've talked about. Um, let's jump to Kafar. It's a couple of slides over. So Kippur, the word Kippur comes, it's the derivative of the Hebrew word Kafar, which means, which means literally to cover. Like we would think of painting on something. Uh, bitumen is what's mentioned here. Uh, when Noah... Uh, uh, God tells Noah to build the ark and he tells him to cover it, right? To paint on, that's kafar, right? To cover something, it's just slather or paint on. Wipe, I think Kyle even used, right? Wipe. Um, and so that's a real literal meaning. That's a real literal, uh, something with teeth, something with concrete. We all know what it's like to wipe stuff down or, you know, or paint. or We, we understand what that's like, to clean a window, we understand what that means. And then we can extrapolate what, what, we, can, what we can understand as a spiritual or a, uh, a, a, you know, a more ethereal meaning from that. But literally, when Aaron is making atonement for the sanctuary, it's literally wiping the sanctuary, cleaning the sanctuary in a real physical sense so that God's presence can continue to dwell. So in Genesis 6.14, we have the make the ark of gopher wood, rooms in the ark, and pitch it within and without. That's kafar. Uh, Genesis 32.20, um, again, these notes are, are online. Uh, Say evermore, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him. I will appease him with the present that goeth before me and see his face, um, so he will accept me. This is Jacob and Esau. And Jacob says, I'm going to send a gift. That word to appease is kafar same word so already you're like well wait what's is it one or the other the answer is yes um leviticus 44 talks about atonement uh numbers 15 talks about atonement and cleansing verse 25 of numbers 15 it says and the priest shall make an atonement a kafar for or a kippur for the congregation of the children of israel it shall be um forgiven them for it is ignorance and they deal um sorry is ignorance and they shall bring their offering an offering uh, made by fire unto Hashem their sin offering before Hashem for their ignorance for their ignorance right they know not what they do what, what does that mean? that mean that means you came in and you dirtied up the house and you didn't know it you didn't realize it uh, chapter 15 of Numbers verse 28 and the priest will make an atonement for that soul that sinneth ignorantly when he sins by ignorance before Hashem to make an atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him um, uh, Psalm 78 verse 38 but he is compassionate forgives iniquity and does not destroy yes many times he restrains his anger and does not stir up all his wrath that's so good alright you know what I'm going to leave the farm So, let's talk about our, our, our theology a little bit, because it's very, very important. 
And if you can, if you can start to understand this, I don't like to make guarantees. If you can start to understand this, I guarantee, first of all, it'll hurt your feelings. Second of all, it'll wreck your life. And then as you start putting the pieces back together, you will be the most confident, yet humble, the most secure, the most, I can't even, I don't even know the words to describe it. So, our theology, content is a great word, thank you. Our theology says it's all about salvation, right? You're wretched and awful, you need to be saved. Being saved the moment you pray the prayer, you accept Yeshua as your Savior, etc., etc., that is the revolutionary moment in your life. That is the, that is the high of all, that is the time where, where, that is the most important, most revolutionary time in your life, right? And it's, it's all about forgiving your sin, and it's all about you. It's all us-centered, Right? And then what you do after that is, well, you know, some people say you should be discipled. Some people say just be in a church. Some people say just go on and do whatever. It, it's, it's whatever, right? But when we talk about things in a temple context, which I believe is a more biblical context, when we talk about things in this context and put ourselves, we overlay our own, our own journey to the journey of Israel, then we are forced to deal with the idea that it's not just about me getting something, i.e. fire insurance or salvation, and then not worrying at all about what the rest of this life is about. If I understand that God, at one point in my life, got down in my stuff with me and delivered me and pulled me out and cleaned me up and now turns to me and tells me, look, now that you're my child, I expect you to come to me a different way. There's a protocol there, right? Because we are the temple, right? We are the temple. No need for a third temple. We are the temple. If we are the temple, all I can say is if we are the temple, there, I pray there's a third temple. What does us being the temple mean? What is it supposed to mean in the context that we've talked about? What is the whole purpose for having a tabernacle or a temple? The presence. Now listen to me and think about this. Because if, sal- if Jesus is only good for salvation so you go to heaven, that's where it stops. This doesn't ever stop. I've said over and over and over, we call ourselves a temple, but we don't even know what a temple is or what it does or what it should look like or act like or how it functions. I'm telling you right now, Temple 101, the whole reasons for it, reason for its existence is so God dwells in it. Now, we've talked a lot about mountaintops and trees where heaven and earth connect. That's the temple. 
where God takes up residence, where heaven and earth connects. The New Testament tells us that that is supposed to be us. Thank you. It is terrifying. Like Isaiah. It should be terrifying. It should give you goosebumps and it should shake you to your core that you sitting at a table in Rose Pine, Louisiana on a Saturday, God has chosen you to live in and us corporately to humanity, not anybody who would call on his name. He's chosen us to live, to put his presence in. The place where heaven and earth connect is us. And God is holy and he deserves a clean place to live. Now this is where it gets personal. Kippur, kafar, to atone is not about cleansing our sins so we can go to heaven. It's not even about cleansing our sins. It's, it's, it's just not. It's just not. Kippur, kafar, is about you are the dwelling place. You are the house of God, the dwelling place of God. But you're doing stuff that makes God want to bounce. God is is walking into his house going like, what smells like that? Is there something dead behind the refrigerator? Like what? And he's walking around our lives wanting to be and deserving to be, have his abode in a clean, pristine, holy people. This is no different than what he called Israel to in the wilderness. We are still, we're still playing Israel's story. Either, either, we, either the imagery of us being the temple is hyperbole and metaphor... And so we can go like, oh, well, that's not really what it means. And then we can carry on about our lives, doing, whatever, doing our lives whichever way we think should be best. Or we can understand Yom Kippur and go, wait, no, we are supposed to be the dwelling place of God. Oh, boy. Because Christian salvation is easy. but it's also very shallow. I'm not talking about Yeshua's sacrifice, please. Don't email me. The understand. It's very shallow. Oh, you're a piece of junk. Here, well, look, come get a free pass, right? Yeah, out of the junk heap. And then, cool, do whatever. It's fine. No, but, but if you are the dwelling place, It's easy to be saved and not give two rips about this world. Because God's going to burn it up, right? And I mean, it won't matter to us because like, we'll be out. So, cool. 
So all I have to do is bide my time and suffer this world until the trumpet sounds. Which is pagan. <laughs> okay. It, because yeah, it's an escapism. That is, that, that is, look at the, but if I'm the dwelling place of God, if we, we are the dwelling place of, because I'm not and you're not, we are, which adds a whole nother layer to the thing. If I'm the dwelling place of God, I got to worry about me and I can kind of control, well, But if, if my being the dwelling place of God and his presence depends on you, if God choosing to live in this house called humanity depends on my reliance on you to be who you're supposed to be, see how, see how it locks together? You can't get away... I can't get away from you. I can't get away from my dependence on you. I need you to, fu- to fulfill the temple. I need you to fulfill the image of God. So it's incumbent upon me to do everything I can to you to do like Yeshua said, serve one another, love one another unto God. To lift you up, to say, be pure, to encourage you with all encouragement and exhort you with all exhortation and challenge you with all of all my strength to not just as the pastor, but as one of you, as one of us, one of this corporate thing. It's that living offering that we all should be doing. If God dwell chose to dwell in us as the temple, and God lives forever. We never get a break. We never stop cleaning. As long as God lives, we never stop cleaning our house. And God lives forever. There is no season of checking out as the abode of God. There is no hiatus as the abode of God. So when we talk about the atonement that we believe Yeshua, our Messiah, made for us, what I want you to, and I know this is so, some of you are going to go home and go like, I have no idea what he talked about. I, it just did not even, it, it, did, it just didn't even land. And I, I, I understand. I understand. Because I've been trying, I've been chasing this idea for years, and I feel like I'm just kind of grabbing it on the heels. We understand that the forgiveness of Yeshua at the cross, the, the, the righteousness and the atonement that he attained, is, it's not heavy on the us side. It's heavy on the God, humanity has tainted creation. Father, humanity has tainted creation with violence, with injustice, with unrighteousness. That Yeshua's, Yeshua's atonement 
is less about us and more about our effect on creation. And so the, the idea is that we have come into God's holy place and we have, we have tainted creation with violence and injustice and unrighteousness. And, and while I, I'm thankful for the forgiveness provided in Yeshua and I'm thankful for, for all, all those things, what I'm understanding and what I want us to realize is that it's so, so, so much wider and deeper that the atonement that I receive for my sin, the forgiveness that I receive for my sin is not just so that I can be okay and I can have a clean conscience. It's so that I can continue to house the presence of God. And God lives forever and that job never stops. Now the hope is next year there's less to clean. The hope is next year as we revolve around this sun we go another year there's less to clean but here's the reality. (laughs) For those of you folks in here that are old, a little bit older, a little further along life's journey, when did you start cleaning the house less? When your kids start to leave, right? Is the kingdom supposed to be growing or shrinking? It's supposed to be growing. Which means... You thought you had it rough with eight kids in a 400 square foot bus keeping it clean or four kids in a 2,000 square foot house keeping it clean. And we thought it was a lot of work. We think it's a lot of work to keep that house clean, to keep things straight. But God says, no, I want to add more kids. (laughs) No to you. And you be quiet over there in the, in the corner. But I want to add more kids. And you know what? These kids are not raised like your kids. They don't know to pick up their shoes. They don't know that every Friday in preparation for Shabbat, we have cleaning and straightening. They don't know that. So it's actually going to make your job to keep the place clean even harder. You're going to have to be more diligent. You're going to have to be more on your game. You're going to have to be more sensitive, more discerning, wiser, more efficient, more productive, more creative on how you keep the place clean. So you know what? This cycle never stops. It never stops. What hopefully we do, what hopefully God does in us and through us through this cycle is that as he brings us in, we begin to clean up our part of the world by the way we act, by the way we judge, by the way we love. We begin to make this area, whatever your area of life is, I'm talking about geographically, you start to make that area 
a little more fit for God to dwell. The people in your life a little more fit for God to dwell as you walk together. And then you know what? God brings in some dirty folks. By the way, some of you in here are very evangelistic in nature. Please be evangelizing. Please. Well, I don't know what to say anymore. Well, figure it out. Let's go have lunch. We'll talk about it. I don't, I don't know. But the, the fact is, I'm not an evangelist. Never have been. Don't know that I ever will be. It's not my strength. It's not my thing. It's not how I'm wired. It's not my strength. But the fact is, is everybody was like, if everybody was like me, this thing would wrap up and shrink and die like that. I'm not going to promote OAM. I'm not going to sell OAM. I'm not going to sell what God is doing here. I just don't. I'm not comfortable doing that. I never have been. Never will be. But you know what? Some of you are good at that. You are good at talking about what Yeshua did in your life and now the journey that you're on. You have a gift for people and for talking and for engagement and you need to be doing that. Because if it was just people like me, the kingdom would shrink and that's not what the kingdom's supposed to do. Kingdoms grow. They shrink, they die, and they're forgotten. There's a reason why the kingdom of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has not been lost to history. But God said, I'm going to bring in new people from the kingdom. They're all going to look like Pigpen and Charlie Brown. Discipleship is the art and science and lifestyle of teaching people how to be clean before God so that they can clean their world. And we take over more terra firma for the kingdom and then those people go get people it's like wow this sounds like a pyramid scheme <laughs> well pyramids were temples too so my forgiveness is not about me it is but it's just so it's like it's like this there's your forgiveness I hope you're happy with it and how many weeks and years and years and months do people sing and dance and sing in church over their forgiveness? Great. You got a lot to be forgiven. I had a lot to be forgiven from. Some of you sitting here had a lot to be forgiven, to be delivered from. Rejoicing over our forgiveness is wonderful. But you, you see, kind of, can you start to see a little bit of how small that really is? Because... If it's just for me, big deal. But the fact that God cleansed me for the purpose of him moving into me, and then I have to now maintain. See, I couldn't clean me enough for God to move in. But, but Yeshua's blood cleansed because blood cleanses. That's just how it works. Don't ask, don't question it. It's just how it works. He... he he cleansed me, but now I have to maintain cleanliness. And Brady and I were talking earlier. I didn't know this is where this was going, by the way. So you're probably surprised as I am. Um, okay, good. <laughs> so we've reduced cleanliness before God to don't smoke and don't drink and don't cuss. <laughs> See? Narrow, 
Yeah, don't sleep around. Of course, if you don't drink, you're probably not going to. Well, anyway. <laughs> You see how, do you see how small? Yeah. Now, for an alcoholic, that's not a small thing, right? I, I get, and I, I, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to minimize or reduce that. What I'm, what I'm saying is that if your thing is not alcohol, you've gone with like, I don't drink anyway. Cool, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I am righteous, no. right? And then you read all the Bible, and everything we read goes like. Yep, mm-hmm, yep. Yeshua talking to the Pharisees and going, yep, see, dirty Pharisees, because I don't drink, and that's what we've defined as one of the big sins, right? Well, I don't do that, so I'm, go- I'm all good, right? <laughs> what? But I'm a ha- I, 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 together with my neighbor, am a house that God wants to dwell in, but, but the house has to be clean. And folks, I'm sorry, I love Jesus just as much as the next person but his cleansing is not the final cleansing for all time and all seasons and every single situation I'm sorry because the facts on the ground is that I still sin and so do you we still have areas where we are violent and where we are unjust and where we are we desecrate this world we desecrate each other we desecrate our own selves still happens he's faithful to forgive but we have to do the work of cleaning at at least at least partnering with him to clean so this Yom Kippur as you think about what Yom Kippur is I want you to I want you to meditate on being the dwelling place. And if you have any questions about things I said that you didn't understand or, or whatever, I don't know that I can explain them to you. It's more of a, it's been happening in here the last couple years, and it hasn't made it to here where I can communicate it necessarily. So I'll do my best. But um, I hope this challenged you and, and made a little bit of sense and forced you maybe to, to dig a little bit deeper. Um, into what Yom Kippur is about. So again, uh, Wednesday night at 6 p.m., we will be streaming uh, Yom Kippur. And uh, what I will do is we'll have a, a, a prayer schedule, but what I will do is make a PDF of that, and I will upload it um, to the website, Facebook, whatever, so that it can be accessed by those of you guys that are following through with the Yom Kippur service, and you can follow along. Cool? Video. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, how Twitter paid it I am this morning. So before we finish up, I, just real quick, um, today is 9-11, and uh, there's a short video clip that I want to show, and then I want to pray um, as, we, as we finish up. So let's see if it'll roll. Most of us remember that day. It's etched in our minds permanent reminder of tragedy. We all watched helplessly as lives were lost, heroes were born, and a nation was forever changed. The loss was unimaginable, the sorrow unbearable, but through that pain, 
we witnessed the resolve of a nation. We saw chaos give birth to courage. Fear transform into fortitude. And destruction give way to determination. In the midst of the brokenness, freedom stood immovable. Today, we remember those we lost. We honor the heroes who saved so many and grieve with the families who have suffered so much. It's been 20 years, but we still remember, and we will never forget. Sadly, there's some in our country today that, um, that don't want to talk about this. They don't want to teach it to our kids. They don't want to teach the truth of it in our schools. Because they're afraid of Islamophobia and they're afraid. The same reason they don't want to talk about the China virus is because they're afraid of, afraid of uh, people mistreating Asians, etc., etc. When the government does stuff like this, what they're basically saying is that you're not adults, you're really children that are not mature enough to control your own base mindsets, prejudices, wisdom. So, so we're, the government is going to change the story because you can't control yourself. Because you're a child in a derogatory way. But we are going to remember. We don't remember to fuel hatred of, of Muslims. That's insane. We don't remember to fuel hatred of any kind. In light of, in light of what we've just talked about, we remember because, number one, we have Americans that lost their lives needlessly. And if that is not the days of Noah, I don't really know what is. Needless violence. Innocent people. And secondly, we should remember, because there's a lot of broken world out there that needs to be fixed. There's a lot of dirty stuff out there that needs to be wiped clean. And whether it be... Louisiana or New York or California or Tokyo or Paris or wherever it might be there is a lot of world out there that is hurting and dying needlessly and you know what there are there are good Muslims the, the thing about phobia if we have any kind of people associated phobia that's on us because I would rather I would rather a Muslim man who is faithful to, to his faith that loves his kids and that is a good person than some old backbiting, hateful Christian any day of the week. We judge people on what they do, not some label they wear. This world needs tikkun olam. It needs repairing. And so as we remember this day going into to Yom Kippur, 
I would ask you to let it affect you. Let it, think about it, let it, let it make you angry, let it make you sorrowful, let it make you determined. There's one thing that happened after 9-11. This country came together. Like, I don't know if it ever has, maybe in its history. And yet, today, we find ourselves so incredibly divided over so many little issues. Maybe this can be a look back to say, you know what, that was better. Let's do that. Father, we thank you and bless you for your protection always. We pray, Father, continually for the lives of those over 3,000 Americans that lost their lives and the families that gave up loved ones for the over 25,000 that were injured that still deal with life-threatening issues, first responders, military, for the impact and the way that September 11th forever and, and deeply changed the fabric of America. Father, we pray for, for shalom and for comfort. And Father, we, we won't just pray we're going to put feet to what we pray. And Father, we are going to decide that we are going to represent you in righteousness and justice. We are going to be involved in the lives of people. We're going to be involved in, in our world, in our space, to have an impact for your kingdom. Father, we pray for our live stream family who maybe doesn't have necessarily a support system like we do. We're so fortunate. But Father, they do have us. And, and they have you who is faithful over all. And so we pray, Father, that the rest of the Shabbat be one of peace and meaning. And we pray that their week as they approach Yom Kippur would be full of introspection, repentance, comfort, And Father, we bless you and thank you for your faithfulness to us. Your faithfulness to continue to help us clean the house, to continue to be patient when we leave our shoes at the door, to continue to be patient when we're lazy and we don't pick up our clothes, when we're lazy and we don't don't sweep under the cabinets and behind the the appliances when we're lazy and we think oh those things those habits those sins those whatever they can just wait because I don't have the energy you continue to be faithful and you continue to walk through our house and abode with us so father we pray that we would have the spirit and the courage to do better because this world needs revival And we know that's not something you're going to just drop out of heaven, Father. It comes from your people humbling themselves, confessing their sins, turning from their wicked ways, and calling out on you. We bless you and we thank you for this Shabbat, Father. Through Yeshua, our Messiah, amen.